This is my instant reaction for Avatar The Way of Water. I was pretty ho-hum on the original Avatar. I've only seen it once in theaters and never again. I've seen it in bits and pieces because it was on the FX network in the United States every single day for 13 years, roughly. Um, this was the joke of Hollywood. James Cameron working on Avatar movies for over a decade, etc., etc. Is this thing ever going to come out? It's never going to come out. I don't believe it's going to come out. When it comes out, will anybody care anymore? It has no cultural legacy. I have said all of those things, but I've also said never bet against James Cameron because you should never bet against James Cameron. I think, other than Piranha 2, the spawning for which he was fired off of, um, I think the only sequel he's ever done is Terminator 2 as a director and writer. I don't. I know he wrote Rambo two or whatever, Rambo three, one of them, but I don't. He didn't direct that one. I'm saying as a director for an original property or any other really property, I don't think he's ever done a sequel, right? I mean, he's only done a handful of movies when you really think about it, which is kind of crazy. Well, I guess he did Aliens, and Aliens is a sequel, but that was not his work. So I guess he's got this would be the third sequel he's ever done in his entire career, and he's done what maybe seven, eight, nine films, maybe I don't know. Um, all that to say, we don't get very many James Cameron movies. And I just saw True Lies on 35mm a couple weeks ago, and what an experience that was. And I lamented the fact that I think why I rejected the first Avatar, to, to a certain extent, um, was the fact that here is America's greatest practical action director in cinematic history at least, uh, you know, American cinematic history. And he's leaving the world of practical action behind to go into full blue screen territory. It's full CGI. And he, of course, would say, well, this is the future. This is how movies are going to be made in the future, just like Lucas has said, just as Zemeckis has said, and, and others. And they're not wrong. Okay, they're not wrong. Movies will be populated by AI and AI recreations of actors because if it's, a, if it's AI, it won't cost any money other than the technology to create it. Now, we're a ways away from that, but digital renders of actors, we're not that far removed from that. That'll cost something, but the, the reality is we always lament the fact well, there's no movie stars anymore. Well, imagine the, re the revival of cinema when all of the great stars of Hollywood can be in a movie. It just depends on whether or not what studio has the rights to their digital likeness. And if you think that's not happening, it's already happening. So it, that is going to be the future of movies. And once they can nail performance things, the stuff that we're seeing now, like I'll get around to Avatar here in a second. Spoiler free, then spoilers to some extent. Um, when we looked at Attack of the Clones and we laughed at it and said, oh, my God, this looks like shit. And then we look at where how Marvel makes movies or Disney makes movies now on Manhattan Beach and the Wonderarium or whatever the hell they call it, right? The Magic Time uh, in that LED studio. 
or down in Georgia on blue screen and green screen. And I, and I get that not all the Marvel movies look very good, but you think about how in within 20 years of this thing that looked absolutely ridiculous, history has proven George Lucas right. I think history is going to prove James Cameron right. We're almost 20 years removed from Avatar, and we're almost 20, you know, another 20 years. You're not, you're going to have not just digitally de-aged actors, you're going to have digital likenesses of actors that are indistinguishable from the youngest, most popular versions of themselves. I'll, I'll touch on that again when I get to the spoiler section. Okay, because <clears throat> it's pertinent to this film. It wasn't just a ramble for the sake of a ramble. Okay, non-spoiler stuff. As somebody who was very mad on Avatar, even when I saw it, I thought, okay, this 3D is great. He's done it great. It's non-gimmicky. It's an immersive experience. It's one of the best uses, if, if not at that time, the best use I'd seen of it. Fantastic. Everything else I didn't really care for. In particular, the the Jake Sully character, who's played by Sam Worthington, I, I just I just didn't care. I didn't care about the Ferngali of it all. I didn't care about the uh, Last of the Mohicans of it all. I didn't care about the Dances with Wolves of it all. It just all felt really trite and just just didn't really care for it. I would go so far as to say now I just don't like the movie. I really don't like Avatar. Well, why did you go see Avatar two? Well, I review movies on the internet. Some people. Uh, would if I didn't do it, I would get comments from some people saying, "What do you think about Avatar?" So, I'm going to release this podcast of my instant reaction. I just left the theater, and uh, I get in front of a microphone. If you've never heard one of these before, so I'm formulating these thoughts on the fly. Um, for somebody who I thought the first movie was very meh, to two. The point of then later as time went on, just actually actively not liking the movie. I thought this was wonderful. Um, I thought Avatar 2 is really wonderful. I think one, it helps to have the expectation of, I know there's not going to be the world's greatest story here. I know that we're going to hit some very, very many classic mythological notes. Tropes, if you will. Um, I know this is not going to be the story of the ages. It's going to change my life forever. Um, I, I, I knew that going into it. I know that this is going to be more about an experience, and uh, it's going to be more about um, time spent in another world. Um, I think this, first of all, the logic of this sequel, and I can't talk too much about it because it would be spoilers, I think James Cameron might have the single best mind for sequels ever because he, his, his, they're always logical. Even if there's a little like, okay, we're kind of skirting over this or that, whatever. They're, they're, he, he is the most consistent person to come in and go, what's the story for part two? He just is. Like, there should never have been another movie after Alien. After really Scott's Alien, that's it. That's the story. He's like, no, I got an idea. Rambo, that's it. That's the story. He's like, no, I got an idea. Um, The list goes on and on, right? That's kind of where I was getting out with the sequel stuff up front. Terminator, that's it. It's over. You're terminated, fucker. He's like, "Mm, what about that arm? And you're like, holy shit. And then he can just build a world out from, what if this? And he's just, he's a narcissist. He's, He's maybe a psychopath. 
James Cameron is the fucking man, and he knows it. He really is the man. And he just can do this shit better than anybody. He just can. I don't like him, but I love him, you know, as a director. It's, it's crazy. He's taking me as someone who's like, ah, I, I'm going to see this because I don't want people to ask me whether or not I've seen it. I just don't want it. So I'll go see it, do it for the podcast, I'll review the movie don't care about the first one. I don't like the first one. I don't like Sam Worthington. I don't give a shit. And by halfway through, I was like, boy, this is wonderful. What a wonderful time at the movies I'm having. What a wonderful experience this is. And I found myself actually caring. And I think, one, because the logic of the sequel is actually very sound. It's the, actually the logical next place that this story would go with a normal, logical amount of time that has passed. It is fucking coherent, internal, goddamn story logic, which we don't get any of that shit anymore. E, G, I, E, C, <laughs> the DCEU, and so many other franchises, so many other. It took this guy 13 years to get this movie finally in fucking theaters, and he's just like, I got the story, and it's like, oh, shit, yeah, this is the story, and this is probably the best sequel of it. I don't know where we go from here, which is also kind of exciting. Um, I hope it's not another 13 years. I know that he was, like, shooting a bunch of stuff concurrently. I know this movie has to gross $2 billion to break even. It's going to break a billion. Will it get to a billion and a half? I don't know. I think $2 is really high for any movie to make. Um, I don't know if this is going to have incredible rewatchability. But then again, it's coming out during the holidays. I don't think until February anything else is really going to come out that's going to be able to touch it. And it's a pretty immersive experience. Um, it's very immersive. Um, I will say some things on the, on the technical level, and then I'll get into some story stuff. Non-spoilers, I think, works. Technic technically, your experience at your theater might be different. The theater that I saw this at, um, it had, I don't know if it's in the movie. I don't know if it's the way the movie was rendered or if it was literally just the, the settings for the projector that I was watching it on. You know how Tom Cruise had that, put out that public service announcement about motion, uh, uh, like the, 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 uh, oh God, it's not motion blur, but it's basically a anti-motion blur effect, right? The, the, it cleans up the blur. Um, it had it in my head. I just lost it. And how you have to go into your TV and turn the settings off. Which, by the way, I got a new 4K TV. And it's a smart TV. It's an AI television. Which is creepy as fuck. Because it just changes its settings based on the director's program preference. It reads the data of the movie and goes, this is how the director would prefer you watch the movie. And it gives me a little notification that says, this is the preferred settings for this film. And it just fucking changes my settings. <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus Christ. So I've turned all that stuff off, um, but it turns itself on. Uh, and then, then it will go back to the settings I have for it. But So, you, you know, that, that very kind of um, artificial look when you watch a movie on a 4K TV or LED TV, and it has that, like, anti-motion blur effect on it, uh, where so everything's just, it's kind of just operating too smoothly. Um, and it renders action very, very weird. It just, it almost looks sped up. And somebody said soap opera E, 
It kind of does. Like the camera just tracks too smoothly. Um, that effect is all the way through this movie. And at times, the Navi are rendered in such a way that it almost looks stop motion. And it almost looked like Ray Harryhausen, like a super smooth Ray Harryhausen to stop motion. I would say this is the most successful three-hour video game cutscene film ever made. And it is the, the most perfectly rendered video game cutscenes ever done. That was, might be a huge turnoff for people. I just at a certain point was like, this is what this thing is. Or at the very least, that is what the settings in this theater are. I'm just going to have to fucking roll with it. Some people have talked about just how just amazing it looks. I'm telling you, it looks like PS4, PS, probably PS5, just rendered by a supercomputer. It is, it is never believably real until there's some stuff in the third act where it's, there's a combination of more practical stuff and more digital stuff, and I'm going, holy shit, if this had been the whole movie, which it couldn't have been based on the story they told, maybe there would have been a feeling of a little bit more of an uncanny valley, but some of the stuff he does with like actual people is fucking amazing. It just looks incredible. So, aesthetics aside, the other reason why this works is, for me, I don't really give a shit about Jake Sully. He, I don't want to say he's sidelined in the movie, but he is a player among many players. And some of the characters that they introduce um, who get time to, we get time to get to know them. We get time to, for them to develop. We get time for the relationships to develop, some emotional cores to develop. I just think it's overall, we're spending, there's still world building because we have to get caught up and we go a little bit deeper into the world of Pandora and other elements of the culture and stuff. And that's all fine. But because most of the heavy lifting was done in the first film, we actually genuinely get to spend some time with some characters and they're they're distinct from each other. And because they're distinct from each other, and again, all the world building logic of it all has already kind of been done for you. It's just sort of a more satisfying experience. And there's a, a relationship that is ends up being really central to the story. And I will say nothing more than that, that I was surprised how almost immediately moved by it I was. And I thought, oh, okay, there's this is James Cameron where he goes full on new age like woo-woo environmental guy. And it kind of worked for me. It's kind of cheesy. It's overly earnest, but it worked for me. Here's the other thing. It's called Avatar, the way of water. When the water elements are introduced to this movie, that's when I really engage because James Cameron has been spending 40 plus years at this point, almost 40 years studying water. So when he does stuff in real water or digital water or a combination thereof, Nobody understands how to make a movie involving water better than this guy. And this guy takes some of the best elements. I'm going to shit you not. He recalls, and it's very subtle, but he recalls stuff from Aliens. He recalls stuff from Terminator 2. He recalls stuff from, especially in the third act, from Titanic. He recalls stuff from The Abyss. And again, it's so subtle. So subtle. 
at the T2 thing was just like, there's a little bit, there's some light stuff that goes on. And, uh, well, there's some stuff in the beginning. It's like immediately like, oh yeah, Terminator 2. But there's some other stuff that he does where it's just for a split second, just for a shot, how a character walks. And I go, that's the T1000. The character doesn't walk like that before or after. He put it in there. I know he did. Or somebody got cheeky. They're like, that's a T1000. I know that walk. I know that fucking walk. Um, so distinct. Uh, alien, there's, this, there's something that happens. And you, if you know it, aliens, you'll see it. And you'll go, oh, my God. Like it builds up to it. You're like, he's going to fucking do aliens again. And he did it. There's not a ton of it, but there's just third act. He's just like, all right, motherfuckers, time to remind you who the fuck I am. Remember, and he's just like, remember Titanic, remember Aliens, remember Terminator 2? And you're like, yes, I do, James. Yes. Yeah. You still, you still got it. You still got it. Um, he just does. This fucking guy still has it. He's like a thousand years old almost, and he, he's just still has it. Um, because there's, we get to spend some time with two, three, four, if not more characters, you would think, wow, that's, that's, Maybe too, I, I, too many characters. This, again, it's almost like Titanic where it shouldn't work because it's like, oh, it's three hours long. We're zipping around. We're zipping around between too many characters on paper, right? This fucking guy understands how to like just structure a story. And he knows how to hire editors who do a really good job. I think this movie is superbly edited because even though it's three hours, it doesn't really feel feel like three hours there was never a point where i was like okay get on with it i was just along for the ride and i think the the movie for me got progressively better as it went along and i think this this third act is some of the best certainly some of the best digital action i've seen in a long long time you know i can't say it's like there's some of the best practical action because it's there are more practical elements in the movie towards the end, but it is still very largely a digital film. Just great, just great stuff. And I just, I kept thinking to myself, you know, I, it never would have happened for a variety of reasons, but what if James Cameron had, what if they just said Jurassic World? Jim, write it, direct it. Go back in time. What the fuck would that guy have done? James Cameron's Jurassic World. Give him a sequel to Jurassic Park. Let him imagine what a fully operational Jurassic World would have looked like and what dinosaurs would have looked like and what the water dinosaurs would have looked like and what the park would have operated and the fucking characters that populated that world. Holy shit. Guy would have crushed it. We would we would be on Jurassic World six right now. We'd be like, fuck yeah, more. Um, it's just wonderful. Uh, just a wonderful experience. So th- th- that's basically the summation of my thought. If I had to give this thing a review at a, like out of five stars, I think I'd probably give it about four stars. Your mileage is going to vary, right? Like if 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 at any point you're bored. It's probably not going to work for you. I was not bored. I was thoroughly entertained. It's like, it's, it's a different way. I went into it fully embracing the thing for what it was. If you wanted to be something different than what it is or something more than what it is, you will probably not like it as much. 
But as someone who did not like Avatar, I think that this movie is wonderful. Um, and it's pretty woo-woo at times. And I think he's just going to get more and more woo-woo. Um, so, yeah, I would give it four stars. It's a recommend. I would say see it in theaters and see it in 3D. Uh, for very light spoilers, the second half, stay tuned. If not, here's your chance to go away and come back later once you've seen the film. If you're not going to come back, just like and subscribe. And do all the stuff that every podcaster asks you to do. We have brand new merch. Go to bingemovies.threadless.com. You can see a bunch of brand new designs. You can support the show. Uh, you can go to letterbox.com slash bingemovies. Find us there. You can go to Patreon, patreon.com slash bingemovies. Lots of good stuff is in the works over there. It's growing by the week. And uh, the more support we have, the better. I've got ambitious things I want to do. And I need money to do them all. That's just the reality of it. So, uh, yeah, that, that's my review. Stay tuned for some spoilers. Okay, the spoilers for this. Uh, I, I don't. Uh, okay, here's what I will say. <clears throat> the movie is more so about his family you know, family. It's more so about his family than it is him. It's him being Jake Sully, pronouns pal. Or Natiri. Um, and we we are introduced. He has uh, uh, two older sons. He has um, a daughter. And he has an adopted daughter, and he has kind of an adopted son, although he refers to him as being more than a straight, like a straight cat. The straight cat kid is the kid who is um, in in the in the movie as, uh, or in the trailer as the, like the weird kid with the dreadlocks and the mask, who's just like, who the fuck is that kid? He is the son. And this is deep spoilers. Of Stephen Lang's character, who was, after his father was killed, was left on World, uh, on Pandora, because you could not put a baby into hypersleep. And so he was essentially abandoned by the human beings who fled. And he was raised by the lab guys who worked with Grace, uh, I think is her name, who's Sigourney Weaver's character from the first film. Sigourney Weaver reprises her adult self, but she also plays her own daughter who was immaculately conceived. And we don't know who her father is. And she is sort of this halfling mutant Navi because she's avatar plus something else. And, and uh, they call it, it's Kiri, but the way they sound, say it, it almost sounds like kitty. Um, and it is Sigourney Weaver. As an as a Navi, so completely CGI, then digitally de-aged, including I think her voice. And I was like, wait a minute, is that because I knew she was going to be in the movie, and I'm like, how is she going to be in the movie? Because she's dead. Well, in this, she's not dead; she's just in a coma, and that might be a retcon. I don't know. I did not revisit the first Avatar before I saw this movie. Um, 
but she's basically like an adopted daughter of them, and she has some kind of really deep mystical connection to the the mother spirit of the planet. You know, not Gaia, but essentially they're the Navi equivalent of Gaia. Um, and she can actually sort of t- control or force maneuver the the uh the the biosphere of the planet which we know is like alive and living and responds almost as if like a uh like a immune system to outsiders and she can sort of sync with that and that be, is begins to be explored in the movie but they don't go too too crazy far into it we, we it's, it's explored and revisited throughout the film but that's obviously going to be a bigger plot point moving forward um now, Stephen Lang reappears, and you're thinking, well, he's fucking dead. Now, if I'm not mistaken, in the trailer, Stephen Lang appears as himself. And he's on, like, a carrier, one of those, you know, like almost like a World War II, almost like the Sulaco dropship, but Avatar style. I think, and he's, like, in the trailer, if I'm not mistaken. Well, that's not actually him. That was a fucking fake out. And that's actually Edie Falco. Yes. That Edie Falco, Sopranos Edie Falco, plays the general. Stephen Lang has been cloned as a Navi. So all the jarheads who were part of Sully's group, including Michelle Rodriguez and everybody else, all the bad guys from Sully's group, from his Marine Corps, from the star people or whatever they call them, sky people, they're all back. And they're back as clones of themselves. Um but in Navi bodies as avatars, basically. And the mission is um, Earth is dying. We no longer give a shit about unobtainium. We just want to fucking move to Pandora. And Jake Sully and his group of Navi are leading an insurgence that it makes it very hostile for Earthlings to be able to colonize this planet because they keep strategically thwarting their efforts. And so it deals with a lot of about colonization and exploitation of natural resources and the earth people we're, we're the bad guys just through and through. We are the bad guys. There's not pretty much not a redeemable earth person in the entire movie. Then you've got Jake and his group and Jake has been promoted to the chief, which happened at the end of the first movie from what I remember. And he essentially is like the leader of the the Navi forest people. And once he realizes that uh, Stephen Lang's character is back, the colonel is back, at least in Navi, or version of him is back. And his job is go take out Jake Sully and subdue the indigenous people so we can fucking live here. We got to get this place ready for Earth. Once he realizes that, uh, that he realizes this guy's not going to stop coming because he attacks the Navi and the, the wilderness people. Once um, well, he's got his sights on me, he wants revenge. He wants revenge against Natiri, uh, Zoe Saldana's character, because she killed him, if you remember the first film. He's like, we just got to get the fuck out of here. To save the Navi, we've got to actually leave the Navi and we've got to go elsewhere. 
So they go as far away as they possibly can, which takes them to a different, completely different clan of Navi, like a, a completely different like genetic line of Navi, who are the water people, who are Navi, but they're they look different. They're kind of built different, different culture, similarities, but different culture. All of the stuff with the water, and maybe it's just because I love, I think water is way more interesting. But also it's very clear James Cameron thinks water is way more interesting. All of the species that populate this world, even though some of them are analogous to what we've previously seen with the in the original Avatar, I think it's all so much more imaginative and much more captivating and much more original. And it's just clear that this is where his heart is, for lack of a better term. Um, so they basically go to these people and are like, um, Hey, you got to take us in. And he goes to basically the local chieftain who is played by Cliff Curtis, I believe. And, um, oh my gosh, I love her. What the hell is her name? She's in Titanic. I got too much stuff in my head. It happens. No, Kate Winslet. Oh my God, Jason. Um, Kate Winslet. He he he. She doesn't want anything to do with it because she's like, "Look, you're outsiders. You're not from here. You have these weird halflings who have demon blood. We're the demons, the Earthlings. You're a demon. All you're gonna do is bring your war here. And from this point forward, I would say if you like like the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes movies they did, like Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn and War." That's kind of what these movies become, like, or this movie becomes from this point forward. Is like, we're, how do we live peaceably together? How do we learn this completely new culture that's completely different to us? We're not water Navi, we're tree Navi. We have to learn a completely different, like, culture and a different way of relating to the mother planet and everything else like that. I know this all sounds kind of new agey and weird. It is, but it's, it's really wonderful and so much more interesting. And there's this species on the planet um, that are like sea turtles plus graboids plus whales. Um, I think they're called, oh God, what's their name? Tolkien's some, or maybe something like that. Tolkien. Uh, they said it 50 million times. I can't fucking remember. J.R. All Tolkien. Tolkien's. Um, and they are this like, hyper intelligent super advanced water species again i swear to god they look like a combination of sea turtles whales and graboids their face is like a graboid the way their mouth opens up it's really weird um but jake has his his sons the oldest son is basically the golden child and the youngest son is basically the youngest son he's the one that doesn't listen to the rules and is constantly kind of getting in trouble and trying to prove himself. And every time he tries to earn his dad's approval, he kind of fucks up. The older brother has to bail him out. It's just a lot of that sort of stuff. And they lo- the brothers love each other, but there's tension there too. And, and so this whole thing. And again, this is all so much, again, it's, it's, it's rudimentary, but it's so much more interesting because the, really the kids and the next generation of Navi are really kind of the focus of the movie. And their relationships with each other and the integration between these two Navi clans, between the water people and the Sullies and the, the, the prejudices and all, all the, like, again, like Planet of the Apes kind of stuff. 
It's very interesting. Uh, to, or at least it was to me. Um, it would be way too long to explain it, but at some point, as part of like a prank slash revenge, the youngest son who's had a beef with the water Navi uh, chieftain's son, they the son and his gang of kind of bullies take him out beyond the reef into the more wild and woolly part of the water of Pandora. And uh, he almost drowns to death because he's not accustomed to swimming and all this sort of stuff to the, to the degree that he needs to be to, to truly be one of these water Navi. And this whale thing appears and basically saves him. And he then realizes, you know, through a series of things or whatever, this whale thing is an outcast from its own kind, from its own people. It's seen as a killer. It's seen as being rogue. It's seen as being bad. And we don't exactly know why. And then we learn that the water Navi communicate and they have like almost a spiritual bond with these these creatures and they speak and the creature speaks back to him and he begins to understand the creature. And to the point where he's like, tell me your story. Tell me why you are alone. Because he also, this is the younger brother. He obviously feels alone amongst the Navi because he's not full blood Navi. He feels alone with his own father because his father's really hard on him. And I'm glad it just leaned into the fact that Sully just kind of fucking sucks. And they kind of lean into it. Like you understand his motivation, but you also understand that he just kind of sucks. Uh, and he's like inadvertently pushing his kids away, especially the youngest son. And he's like, look, I'm an outsider too. You can trust me. Like they helped each other at a certain point in the movie. And the whale creatures just like, uh, nah, he goes, it's just, it's too painful. And the way that they communicate his, his name's uh, Payakan and Payakan is, this is the rogue whale thing. Is maybe my favorite character in Avatar. The relationship between this boy and this boy Navi and this whale creature is beautiful. I, I, I was deeply moved by it. I'm kind of tearing up when I think about it. He's just a beautiful, it's just a beautiful relationship. And it's a beautiful creature. And it's just, there's so much heart. James Cameron is putting his, his, all into shooting this stuff or rendering it or imagining it that it just it has something that was missing for me in the original avatar which is like it's water this guy needs to be making movies about the water just let him fucking do his weird underwater shit because he's just really good at it um come to find out like Basically, these the species had all been extremely territorial and extremely violent, and then they just decided violence just begets more violence. And that's the tension. That's the thematic tension of the movie, which is when do you run? When do you choose nonviolence? When do you choose to be a pacifist? When do you choose violence? Violence begetting violence. Like it's just it's it's like how do we get how do we break the cycle of violence and protect our family and protect the planet? Basically, is what the movie's about. And because he, this creature, um, I'm trying to remember his name again. I just, I just said it. Payakin, 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 Payakin. Because Payakin um, was watching his mother and his friends be slaughtered by hunters, basically by you know, poachers. Um, 
And he was watching the Navi get killed because they have this, the water Navi and this, this species have these special bonds. They, they pair with each other in a very special way. Um, he tried to lead basically a defensive against the, the whalers, if you want to call them that. And um, it got, a bunch of people got killed. And because he chose violence, the pod, the group, basically said, even though you didn't kill, you are a killer. And we, we, there's no killing allowed, so you are ostracized. And um, he ends up kind of being the hero of the movie. Um, he ends up turning the tide and being the hero of the movie. And I just think it's really wonderful. Um, it's really wonderful. We've set up all kind of stuff for a future movie. Um, the worst part of the movie, point blank, and I don't know who this kid is, so bear with me. I got to go find him. I Google this real quick. It's uh, Stephen Lang's son. At some point, there's like there's kidnappings and multiple kidnappings, and it's almost like Titanic, you know. Uh, but it's like people who are, get held hostage and they get break free, and then somebody else gets held hostage and all this sort of stuff. And at some point, um, they call him Spider, almost like Spider Monkey. Uh, because they call him Monkey Boy because he's a human being. Um, I just got to see. He um, Zoe Saldana's character, Jack Champion is his name. What else has he been in? Kid on a bike in Avengers Endgame. I seen him in anything else? Don't think so. Um, Jack Champion. Um, he sucks. I just hate to say it, but the kid is not good. He's just not good. Um, the character's kind of dumb. I mean, he's basically Jungle Boy, if you know who that is. But he's basically a Jungle Boy who chooses to be George of the Jungle. But he also has to wear a mask because he can't breathe on Pandora. So imagine like them wearing the mask from Terminator 2 when they were in the Halon uh, at, at, at uh, Skynet. And the, he's just walking around like that. Because remember, they have to. Because he can't breathe uh, Pandora's air for more than a couple of minutes. And so there's just a, guy, a boy in a loincloth running around like a monkey. And his reactions are kind of dumb and goofy and silly. And basically every time he was on screen, it just took me the fuck out of it. I just, I don't think he's a very good actor. I think the character is just really kind of fucking silly. I think that he's definitely being set up as a conflicted character because his, he doesn't really know his earth father. He was raised predominantly in a world of avatars and Navi because it was earthlings who chose to stay behind because they were, uh, friends with the Navi and so that you know the the scientist guys who choose to live an avatar life at least partially um and he can't really be part of that world and then when his dead father comes back it's not really his father because it's a clone and his father isn't even human anymore so he can't really be a part of the human world and he can't ever really fully be part of the Navi world. And so he's just kind of this pathetic character in between. And I know that's the point. That's not what bothers me. What bothers me is the performance. 
And it's definitely going to go either way with this kid because um, Zoe Saldana's character has never accepted him at all because of who he is and whose son he is. And at a certain point in this movie, she even threatens to kill him and she stabs him and wounds him. And they've set up the fact that he saw a video of her killing his real biological father, which he vaguely knew about, but he don't think he knew the details. And the fact that she's been mean to him his entire life, which I also thought was interesting, right? Like we 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 have these basically our two main characters from the first film, and they're deeply flawed parents in this film. You know, they're they're very deeply flawed people, and I think that's really interesting and compelling, and it makes for compelling stuff, especially if we're focusing more and more on this next generation, which you need to. Um, even if the next generation is Sigourney Weaver being de-aged digitally in, in an audio sense to play a younger version of her do- herself, which is really her daughter, who is probably impregnated by the planet itself. And she's going to be Pandora Jesus, female Jesus, who is immaculately conceived in a lesbian planet relationship. I think that's where we're going. Okay, I'm here for it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I thought this one really worked, uh, for what it is for a three hour video game cutscene that was rendered by a supercomputer and directed by one of the greatest directors of all American, greatest American directors of all time. Um, with all the good stuff of the first avatar, the immersive 3d visual effects, and then the, the um, a little bit more emotional resonance and a few more characters to give slightly more shits about. Can't ask for much more, in my humble opinion. So that is my non-spoiler slash spoiler summary of Avatar 2 The Way of Water. Go see it. See it in theaters. See it in 3D. It's pretty great. Um, I don't know where we go from here. But it's sure going to be interesting. Yep, I think. Will it be another 13 years? Oh, I hope not. We'll see. All right, uh, those are my thoughts. Let me know what your thoughts are. Comment on any of the wonderful places you can comment. Instagram, at Binge Movies Lives. Follow us. Twitter, as long as it exists, at Binge Movies. Letterboxd, letterboxd.com slash binge movies. Binge movies at gmail.com. That's the email address. Um, let's see what else we got. What else we got? Patreon.com slash binge movies, binge movies.threadless.com. Until next time, binge on. Binge on.